Hello, everybody, and welcome to Life's Learning Curve, the podcast. This is season two, episode 25. Well, that'd be 40. 25. 25. Just what is Life's Learning Curve? <laughs> it's stories of how we became the best us that we could be, going from point A to point B in life. And today's episode is based on the often repeated parental phrase, do you think I'm made of money? And how trying to save 15 cents at 11-year-old me on the train tracks with escaped inmates. Inmates out on the tracks. <laughs> the learning curve of life helps most of us deal with this parenting strategy. Only until your own kids come to you and you find yourself repeating the same phrase back at them. This all-new episode coming up right now on Life's Learning Curve. Comment or subscribe, listen to our podcast, read our blog, or find extended info and deeper show notes. We're at our website, lifeslearningcurve.org. And on today's show, it wasn't until my mid-20s that I discovered the town in which we lived, my, my family, housed a state mental institution. There was even one remote, secured building that housed the criminally insane. That's, these are terms they used to use. It turns out that it was my town on which the movie Halloween was based. <laughs> they picked me out of the crowd. A lot of people can learn lessons from our parents' generation. You know, fill your rooms up with people that love you, folks. So after all, it wasn't so bad getting hit in the head with a baseball bat. Daddy was going running like a wild dog. From childhood, all your stories, you remember telling them at a shorter height. We would actually run like crazy through the fields. Remember being a kid in summertime? Filleted my shin open down to the muscle. It was learning was a fun thing for me. Old people that would grab you and give you that wet kiss. Ah, now that's value. Streaming where podcasts are heard everywhere. Visit the website to find us. Lifeslearningcurve.org Let's laugh and love life again. Life's Learning Curve. I'm Paul Hart. Episode Inmates Out on the Tracks. Stand by. I am very glad you're with us today. There's always something more to learn in your life and the path of life. And today you're in for a real treat. Did you get an allowance as a kid? My parents did not believe in them. Now, my mom and dad taught my sister and me as we were growing up uh, good money habits, I guess. They demonstrated them as they budgeted and they purchased things. We often had these family meetings. I don't know if anybody else had family meetings, but we did. The four of us sat down and we would decide what we would do and we'd vote on it uh, as a family if we had money that we had saved beyond the budget. My mom would say, Well, we can take a short vacation or we can get a new air conditioner. My mother would say, My parents talked frequently about budgeting, saving, investing, all of it. And I did actually feel a part of the family's decision-making process. But not all of my friends' families handled money in the same manner. Most of my friends had allowances and yet often argued about money with their parents. Why can't I have more money? Do you think I'm made of money? No. Huh? Kiddo, you think I'm a bank? Uh Uh-uh. That I have a kind of loot? 
extra loot. No, sir. I'm sure you think I'm a bazillionaire with unlimited purchasing power, because that's how you're treating your family and your dad. Sorry, Dad. But for me, first of all, my mom was the one to utter that parental phrase. But it was always said calmly and gently. That was my mom. Do you think that we're made of money? Yeah. This was an odd statement. This was an odd statement because my parents did not believe in giving us allowances. They felt that there were chores and things that had to be done around the house that we all had to do, but needn't be paid for. We all work on the house in this family. We do it because we are a family. But my mom always finished her speech by saying, If you ever need money for anything, just ask me. Hey, that sounded reasonable. Yeah, I was 11 years old and I asked my mom once for money to take the bus downtown to see a movie with my friend Jeff, who was 13 years old. Ask your father. My mother said, I did. Okay with me. Dad said, okay, mom. Okay then. She said, how much is the bus? Well, Jeff says it's 15 cents. I answered. And she pulled out a sheet of paper, scrap paper, and she wrote down dollar sign point one five. And how much is the movie? Well, Jeff said the matinee is a dollar. On the same piece of scrap paper, just below the 15 cents, my mother wrote down dollar sign one point zero zero. Hmm. I guess this wasn't going to be as easy as I thought. A dollar. A dollar. When I was your age, a matinee cost 25 cents. That was when I thought to myself, When you were my age, you probably had a dinosaur for a pet. But thank goodness I didn't say that out loud. Then my mom says, And then what? That's it? I said, No. She said, You need 15 more cents to get home on the bus. On the scrap paper she wrote point one five. I knew that, but Jeff and I had planned on walking home down the train tracks. And at that time, there was only one daytime train a week. And that was on Wednesdays. This was a Thursday. Adventure. Yet I knew that I could not tell my mother who loved and protected me from everything, even from wet feet when it rained. I had to wear clunky, embarrassing galoshes. I couldn't tell her that I would be saving the 15 cents and walking the tracks back home. Now, one week earlier, my sister, Sue, and her friend, Susan, walked the tracks back home, but they were caught by my parents. Why can't we take the tracks and save the money? Sue pleaded. My mom would say, There are dangerous people down by the tracks. There's hobos and people who drink too much, you know, and there are trains that come fast, and you'd never even hear them coming. There's broken glass and shards of metal. It was a parent's nightmare. Yet I knew something. 
If Jeff and I walk the tracks home, we might be able to use the extra 15 cents to buy a giant sweet tart at the local Kresge's drugstore downtown. Giant sweet tart. That sweet and soury goodness lasted over an hour, sometimes an hour and a half. So we would travel by city bus downtown, see the movie, which was True Grit, I still remember, with John Wayne, and then we would walk to Kresge's to acquire a giant sweet tart for both of us. Unknown to my mom, we would take the tracks home. It was our adventure. adventure. Jeff and I did Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer type of adventures. adventures. But the day did not go as planned that day. The bus trip was on time and it was fine, easy. The movie matinee True Grit was right on time and it was a great film. The sweet tart was purchased without issue for both of us, one for both of us. But when we accessed the path to the tracks, ignoring the don't walk on the tracks sign, we never anticipated what would happen. Do not go near the tracks. Author Bruce Watson writes in the Smithsonian Magazine, he wrote, If my kids ever find out that my childhood was easier than theirs, my parental authority won't be worth the birth certificates it's printed on. (laughs) I love that quote, but he's right. What if my kids find out that I got to eat a serving of ice cream almost each night and that I ate 10 cent dilly bars all year round? That we often lived with the TV on a good deal of the time and as a cautionary growing up tale, This just won't do. That I got out of school in June and I didn't crack a book, let alone put on shoes till September. No slathering of sunblock, no fancy away day camps for me all summer. No strapping into car seats, no boring daycare day after day. My childhood was just pure fun. Softball, kick the can, swimming at the quarry. We played until sunset, until we could hear my parents call out our names by walking out the back door and yelling my sister's name. My dad always tried first by yelling, Sue! My sister's name. Again, he tried, Sue! God bless him. He always tried so hard, and it was loud, but it didn't carry. His voice didn't carry. He tried several times, but it was somewhat kind of muffled and a noisy, moose-like type moan. He'd hand it off to my mom, whose voice could cut through houses, trees, and metal storage sheds. My mom would yell, Her voice, we heard. Sue screamed back at the same frequency and volume. It was dusk and we knew that was time to run home quickly to the safety and love of our parents. Back to the train tracks. Jeff and I had spent our city bus fare on sweet tarts and now we were taking the train tracks home as sort of a shortcut. My mother's warning of social deviance and danger along the tracks eluded us. We had never seen anyone or anything bad there before. But about a mile down the tracks, 
We were balancing on the rails. As Jeff said, Put your ear to the track and you can hear for trains coming. I did just that. I knew that there was no train on Thursdays, but we were on an adventure. So I gently put my ear down onto the track. I felt no vibration, but I was facing backwards and I saw a train coming. Uh It was coming slowly and the funny part was I said, Jeff, there's a train coming. He replied, Okay, let me try. Not knowing I hadn't heard the vibration of the rails, but rather seen the huge lumbering blue diesel locomotive. He turned and saw it too. We both jumped off the tracks to a safe area where we could watch the train pass. It took another minute or so for the train to even reach us. It was moving slowly. Yeah, I thought, a Tom Sawyer moment. We're having it. But then I realized we had backed into the brush and we weren't alone. I turned around to see a pair of angry eyes staring at us. She screamed. We both jumped. Behind us was a makeshift shed made with cardboard and uh, other boxes. It was filthy with wrappers and it smelled of body odor. And so did the woman that had just screamed at us. Be careful, Jeff. The train began to slow down. As it did, two homeless men in dirty sport coats jumped off a vacant boxcar onto the area in which we all stood. Hey there, Jenny. What you got there? Said the larger of the two men. They got money, I bet. I yelled, What do you think I'm made out of? Money? (laughs) Well, that sounded vaguely familiar to me. I usually wasn't confrontational like this, but there was a lot of adrenaline and fear. Smart mouth. Jenny just steered straight ahead and screamed. Well, that was it. Jeff and I ran for our lives. We ran away as fast as our legs could move us, and that was pretty fast. Terrified, Jeff tripped. He fell forward on some broken glass by the tracks. Blood. I stopped for a moment and saw that they weren't chasing us. That was good but they were watching us, and as I walked backward, I fell on some corrugated tin that cut into my elbow. Blood. When we reached the next street, National Street, we exited the tracks right away. We ran up a hill and all the way home. Exhausted, we limped into Jeff's house to clean up. Safe, but wiser. Now, there's an interesting side note to this. It wasn't until I was in my mid-twenties. Now, this all happened on the tracks when I was 11. But it wasn't until my mid-twenties that I discovered the town in which we lived, my, my family, housed a state mental institution. There was even one remote, secured building that housed the criminally insane. That's, these are terms they used to use. It turns out that it was my town on which the movie Halloween was based. (laughs) But in the film, they gave it the fictional name of Haddonfield, Illinois, I think. Now, some of these instituted people would just walk out the front gate of the mental health center and leave into the city. It was easy to spot these people as I was growing up. They were the ones wearing winter clothing on the 90 to 95 degree days, pushing a cart or 
They generally hoarded stuff or took things with them, you know. So no wonder my parents had such concern. Now I do understand now why my parents never told us that we lived in a city which housed criminally soulless murdering insane people. As a matter of fact, that info was kept a secret by the city and the mental health center until the criminally insane were actually moved to another facility somewhere else in the state. Had I known all this so many years ago when I was a kid, I would have never been able to sleep at night. Every noise might mean something different. But as it turns out, my parents and the entire community knew very little about the dangers of the instituted people at the mental health center. Trouble, it's all you bring me, but somehow it seems to sing me to sleep at night. I guess that's all right for now, cause I'm just a young boy. Just a young boy. They tried their best to keep us safe and aware. So I earned a badge. <laughs> For the next generation, my kids, I could say to them, you know, when I was your age, I lived in a town that housed the criminally insane. <laughs> Back when I asked my parents for money, they knew I was fairly practical, but it was always safety, really, that they were looking out for. What's Where are you going? What are you going to do? Why? Are their parents going to be home? Who's going to be there? Now, where did my dad stand in all of this? He was a believer in getting out and experiencing life, failing or succeeding, but being safe. You will learn from failing and you will learn from succeeding, but you have to get out and try. As for my own kids, I carried on that generational truth stretch. I would say, you know, uh, when I was a kid, I worked like a mule all summer long, toting groceries and lifting the heavy stuff for neighbors, trying to make a quarter here, trying to make a dime there, you know. I thought you went to the quarry to swim and play and kick the can all summer, Dad. Well, oh yeah, we did. We got to the quarry a few times, but I'll tell you, it was tough. No place to park our cars except the blacktop parking lot of a bar and a blistering asphalt parking lot we, we had to walk across. That ooh, it was hot, and oiled bodies soaking up the murderous sun. And me out there on the hot sand, sweating it out in my darkened safety glasses. You kids can't imagine how I suffered on that beach. <laughs> My kids always suspected that I was stretching the truth. And as they got older, they began to laugh and laugh about the ridiculousness of all of that. They might have even known early on that it was just plain lying, but... As a dad, I feel it's my right, my privilege, and my semi-responsibility to have had a miserable childhood. Even if I didn't. So to my own children, I really never had to say, what do you think I'm made out of? Money? As it turns out, both of my kids were interested at an early age at earning their own money. They kind of liked to do it, and they took on any job to help them pay for whatever they were looking to do or make a purchase or buy, especially my son. When my son Riley was only 12 years old, he helped a neighbor paint a fence and was given 
a really high-end professional banjo as payment. <laughs> he loved music and still does. So I wondered, I always suspected or guessed that my kids probably did take as many chances as I did through my preteen through teen years. Whatever they did do without me knowing it, they survived it. And they probably learned from their failures and successes, just like I did. It was my dad's way of doing things. As a matter of fact, both of my kids showed enough responsibility and willingness to earn their own money that I seldom, if ever, was asked to supplement anything to them out of my own pocket. Now with my youngest son, 24 years old now, he's the youngest, I felt it was finally time to ask him if he ever did a few things that I never knew about when he was back in his teens. Maybe stuff he didn't want me to know about when he was younger. He was serious and looked at me seriously for just a second and then he began laughing and continued to laugh until I finally got up and left the room. With the smile on my face that he couldn't see, I had my answer. <laughs> so, the phrase changes from, I'm not made of money, you know, to, and so it goes. And so it does go. For Life's Learning Curve, I'm Paul Hart. Limits out on the tracks. Life's Learning Curve, the podcast, is put together by producer Paul Hart with assistance by Stephen Hagen, Linda Burke, and Sebastian T. Dog. We're mixed by Heidi Cerner, technical director Hal McDonald. As always, music and audio assistance by Riley Hart. On our podcast, we have voice replications, and that's intended for entertainment purposes only. On today's show, special thanks to Michelle Stauffer and John Wesley. Please check out the website, lifeslearningcurve.org. Leave a comment, but please do subscribe while you're there. We'd love to have you. As always, find us on Facebook and Instagram and listen to us just about everywhere podcasts are heard these days. I'm Paul Hart, and we will be back soon with more from Life's Learning Curve. We're clear. We're clear. We're clear.